Welcome to Acquisitions Anonymous, the world's best podcast about small business, buying, selling, investing, and operating. Uh, I am one of your hosts, Michael Gridley. Today, we had a banger of an episode uh, where we looked at a million-dollar-a-year profiting language learning school located in one of my favorite cities of the world, Houston, Texas. And uh, it's really an interesting business. Uh, Bill and I had a great time talking about it, and I hope you enjoy it as much as we enjoyed talking about it. So here's the episode. Hey, Michael here. Want to talk to you about today's sponsor for the episode, uh, which is cloudbookkeeping.com. So cloud bookkeeping is actually run by my neighbor, Charlie. So I've met him in person and uh, can attest that he's a real human being and a good person. Uh, And what cloud bookkeeping does is offer a full suite of bookkeeping services uh, all in the cloud uh, for you around QuickBooks and other technologies that you're using as a small business owner. Uh, So if you're interested in getting the bookkeeping part of running a business off of your plate and focusing on running your business, uh, Charlie and his team are one to call. Um, They can put together a bunch of other stuff in terms of helping you manage and grow your business besides just bookkeeping, Um, sophisticated reporting, uh, definitely helping you get your QuickBooks online set up in the right way, uh, and a number of things around payroll as well. So uh, definitely know them and recommend them. If you want to find out more about cloud bookkeeping, um, you can go to their website at cloudbookkeeping.com. Reach out to Charlie. I know many of you have uh, and see if he can help you uh, make your running your business easier and more fun by uh, letting them help with a lot of the bookkeeping solutions. So, uh, and when you call mention this podcast, uh, it would help us uh, and help Charlie know uh, that we're supporting him as well. So thanks a bunch and cloudbookkeeping.com as the sponsor for today's episode. So now that we've clicked record, uh, Mirko could stop scowling at us because we started to do the banter part of the podcast bill before before we click record. (laughs) It's Michael's birthday today and I celebrated by being 10 minutes late to this podcast recording. (laughs) Bill celebrated by not even showing up. Happy birthday to me. Fashionably late to Michael's birthday podcast. (laughs) (laughs) He's got to roll in like 10 minutes in. (laughs) Uh, But what I learned, which I did not know, I didn't know how bad it was that I was late because apparently when I'm late, Michael just interrogates Mirko in Spanish. Michael's learning Spanish. And Michael talks to Mirko in Spanish the whole time until I arrive. Uh, Yes. Yeah. Well, and then uh, I was telling... I was telling Mirko what happens, you know, Mirko's in Argentina, for those of you who don't know, and produces all of this. And telling him what happens is I have weekly sessions with my maestra, who's my teacher. And inevitably, she asked me some questions like, what What are your goals for the year? And I will spend five minutes using like fourth, four-year-old like Spanish words trying to explain some complex abstract concept. And then she'll say like, oh, okay, so what you're saying is this. And she'll repeat it back to me in three words. I'm like, yes, that's, that's exactly how this works. <laughs> that's how foreign languages work. Like you're not approaching fluency yet. Mirko, how's this fluency? Like five out of 10? No, there's no way, dude. There's no way. Uh, I can do short declarative sentences like all day long. No, my goal for the year, they have, are you familiar with the language learning like classifications, Bill? Have you followed on this? No. Like A1, How does this A2? work? So basically the way it works is there's a standards body out of the EU, I think. Um, anyway, and basically it, it lists, there's three levels of language learning and your beginner, which is the A level. And that has two sub sub um, stages here, A1, A2. And then there's B1, B2, which is like intermediate. And then there's C1, C2, which is like fluent. And so like, like C2 is like you and me in English. 
Uh, and then A1 is like Cerveza and La Playa uh, level Spanish. Like you can, you can do a few words here and there. You maybe have a hundred word vocabulary and then there's stages in between, but the intermediate level is what I want to get to this year, like B1, which is low intermediate. And that's where you can like have a basic conversation. You can talk somewhat about abstract concepts and stuff like that. So that's, that's my goal. Or as they say in Espanol, my objetivo para año 23. So we'll see how this goes. <laughs> Very good. Well, this is relevant, I swear, for our deal today, though, uh, which is an interesting one, right? This is, this is not the language learning school that you have been attending, right, Michael? No, no, no. I'm using a book called, uh, Fluent Forever, which my buddy Jonathan, who, you know, so for me during COVID, uh, I started bike riding and started three podcasts. Okay. My buddy, Jonathan, he decided he was not going to do any of that stuff. And he spent all of COVID trying to become fluent in Spanish from scratch. And he's a baller. Like, I'm just so impressed. So he turned me onto this book called Fluent Forever. And it's basically a self-paced thing that does a lot of science-oriented stuff. Um, that's very different than Duolingo and all that kind of stuff that you go through and use flashcards, lots of practice and lots of immersion to learn how to get fluent in a, in a book. So that's how, that's how I do it. And then I pay a tutor to talk to me once a week for 45 minutes and it's exhausting. It frankly is the most exhausting thing I do all week. Because you do 45 minutes in pure Spanish, no English. Pure Spanish. Like it, and so, you know, like, I think what's cool is like, if you or I go on a walk and like, how many times have you been like on a walk where you do a one-on-one -on -one and you have like a conversation and you tune in and tune out and you understand everything perfectly or a podcast like that. Like my, all of my synapses are firing, trying to understand like a very basic question. Like, how was your weekend? It's like, like there's explosions. So I'm exhausted. The first time I did it, literally, I couldn't make it to my next meeting because I was so tired. I had to go lay down. Like it was so physically demanding uh, and I'm getting better now, but man, like the first couple of times it was exhausting. Because I imagine you're having to process the question, essentially translate it to English in your head, then consider your response and translate it to Spanish and then say it. Uh, that does happen. Uh, at this point, I am trying to think in Spanish and a lot of what Fluent Forever has you do is not translate words literally like when you go through like the memorization process they have and like you'll see things like one of the flashcards i have and i have them all on my phone like it'll show you like a picture of a little girl and i'm like oh you know nina like little girl uh or daughter hija like that's a different word there so like so like it'll show you the green and you know it's okay i'm supposed to know green so it has as minimal amount of po as possible of those kind of words where you're doing the intermediate translation and i've actually seen where i've started to uh, dream in Spanish. Though, here's the crazy thing about it. Guess what the topic is that I dream about in Spanish? What? I dream that I'm in Spanish lessons. That's what I dream. That I'm like practicing the Spanish lesson, the Spanish words that I'm going to say when I get asked by my tutor, like, how do, you know, what are your objectives for 2023? I thought you were going to say you dream about doing this podcast in Spanish. Uh, well, look, like, that's all my waking hours. So here's what's left over. <laughs> all right. So tell us about this deal. Let's get to today's deal, which is on the subject of language learning. So this is pretty cool. It is a 38-year-old language school uh, with a million dollars of EBITDA on $3.8 million of gross revenue. So pretty solid margins, uh, north of 25%. So it says, for sale is a foreign language institute that has been rooted in Texas, not the one Michael's going to, for over 38 years and has grown to be one of the top leading language and cultural training centers in its metro area. 
With the world becoming increasingly interconnected, the global language services market has seen rapid growth, blah, blah, blah. It's it's $56 billion in 2021. Over the years, this business has demonstrated its ability to provide high quality, dynamic, innovative, and interactive language and cultural trainings to hundreds of corporations and thousands of individuals from all over the world who represent all social, educational, ethnic, and economic levels. They work across all industries, banking, finance, oil, gas, government, IT, consumer products, etc., and also offer services to individuals from international students to new immigrants in the Texas refugee community. Despite the COVID-19 crisis, this business has maintained growing revenue levels by implementing new digital learning programs and creating strategic partnerships with foreign embassies, universities, and corporations. In this globalized market, they project that their services will expand in the current market and increase profits by over 20% within the next year alone. It is located in Harris County, Texas. Where's that, Michael? Roughly, do you know? Houston. That's Houston. That's Houston. So this is in Houston. Uh, They have 80 employees. Um, and they say your growth and expansion would be to build on successful partnerships with government agencies domestically and internationally, among other things. And the guy is selling it to spend time with family. Um, so, Michael, as a language learner, what do you think about this one? Dude, I think this is really interesting. <laughs> so, but yeah, not for not just for the you know personal. By the way, my tutor, she the first thing she asked me, she lives in um, she lives in the EU. And uh, so she makes me speak like proper Spanish, but we also spend a lot of time talking about the difference between the EU and America. And she's like, hey, I don't understand this. Why is everybody in America so interested in personal development? Like, why do you all have coaches and like you're reading self-help books and think and grow rich? Like, it's so weird. Like, we don't do that in France and Spain. Like, like, why is that so weird? And I was just like, I don't know. Like it's, it's good. It's just our nature, right? Like it's everybody wants to buy an ab wheel and figure out how to like lose weight and have abs like and make more money. Like, I don't know. Do you know why? I don't know why. No, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm sure it like goes back to, I've read some interesting thing about the selection of people that got on boats and sailed across the Atlantic, you know, to originally populate, you know, the, the European part of our country and like, yeah. like what types of traits of those people? I mean, this was insane, right? You're going to get on a boat for like months and probably die like take a ton of risk, you know, to go to the new world, you know, and that I've read some things that maybe that's selected for certain types of, you know, risk taker, self-improvement type people who then of course bred with each other and made more. Yeah. hundred percent. Well, I mean, you're talking about this idea of selection bias, right? Like in anything like, um, so like one of the, one of the examples I hear often about selection bias, and we may be going to the most, <laughs> most niche, niche off topic thing possible, but like one of the things that people attribute charter schools, like, you know, how those work here in Texas, right? Like you can choose to go to this parallel privately run system that's funded by the government. And, uh, so basically like one of the reasons people think those schools actually perform better than the public's is just because it requires the parents of these kids that go to charter schools to take 30 minutes to fill out a form. And like uh, that creates a huge, the yeah, a huge selection bias of what you get on the outcome. And then you see it in like crazy stuff. Like, like another interesting one is like the culture of Israel, like, and the business culture there. And you realize like, those are people that like selected through the horrors of world war two and then selected to go join a place and then selected where they knew like it was surrounded by people who wanted to like destroy their country. Like you create, it creates this like enormously interesting selection bias in terms of how like just the behavior is. And our buddy Ari from, from Twitter, like talks about that stuff. He's like, it's crazy here. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta understand this. So anyway, so like I wanted to start with this deal 
because there's some as there's an aspect of it that I love more than anything, which is Houston is easily a top three or four melting pot like city and globally connected city because uh, it so it has all these people. So I don't know if you know, but in Houston, like there are uh, like all these, you know, kids of foreign heads of state, like all these people that are just like you go there and like literally you can go to like a high end like private school in Arabic or like for Jordanians, right? Or like Kenyans, like it's just crazy because it's just the most melting pot like of almost city, almost any city in the United States, except probably New York, right? Like it just has all these connections to all these different people and they're full of Vietnamese. Like, I, I don't know if you've heard this stat about Houston, but I was told that the largest population of Vietnamese people outside of Vietnam is in Houston. I did not know that. At yeah. all. So th that could be, don't, don't bet your life on that one. But like, there's crazy stats like that that I hear about Houston all the time. And you go drive around and it's like, it, it's like you've entered a different country. Like it's very, very different, but that's perfect for this. Like this is a globally connected city, like uh, where, where this kind of stuff is super important. All these people coming in and out, it's like an immigrant destination and language connectivity is like huge in this market. Like Definite, definite the right place to have this business. Well, what I, what is really interesting too, is as you read, you know, as an American, you read this as a 38 year old language learning school, you assume that it's teaching people non-English languages. You, you assume it's yeah. teaching, teaching Americans other languages, but in fact, I'm sure much of their business is teaching immigrants English, right? So they can perform, you know, at work and, and all that stuff. Um, so, and that's a market that, you know, is sort of evergreenly renewable, right? Like, this is a huge market. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. And this, this is one of those ones where you're like, okay, like we have huge tailwinds of growth there. Like, like the dominance of English is incredible. Um, do you know what the number, so the number one most learned English language, obviously in the United States is English. Do you know what number two is? It's very interesting. Surely it's Spanish. Yeah. It's Spanish. Yeah. Yeah. That's why when I hear people, they're like, yeah, my kid's going to learn French. I'm like, are you crazy? <laughs> Do you know how that works? Do you know how many totally countries? Totally pointless. <laughs> yeah. Totally pointless. Do you know there's a whole continent just south of us? They only speak Spanish there except for some Brazilian people. Right. Um, and then did you know there's actually a, uh, Spanish is like one of the few languages where there's a native speaking country, uh, that speaks solely their lang their language on three different continents. Like that's their native thing. So there's actually Latin America and North and then, and then North America. So there's two different continents there, the EU. And then there's actually one country that was a former Spanish colony in Africa. And I'm totally blanking on what the name is. They actually speak Spanish there as a native language as well. So like, if you know English and Spanish, like you have a passport to basically the entire world. Like it's pretty. Amazing. Oh yeah. I mean, if, if you knew English, Spanish and Chinese, I mean, that's, that's the trifecta. I would think Mandarin, oh, right? Yeah. Uh, so it is interesting because when I was a kid, so I'm 48 today because it's my birthday. When I was a kid, that was when Japan was coming in and buying up, like that was peak Japan. They were coming in and buying up like all of America. So when I was a kid, like there was actually a big push for us all to start learning Japanese because we thought the Japanese were going to be our new overlords. And boy, was that a huge mistake because <laughs> <laughs> they, they do, you could do very well with English there. But anywho, okay, so back to the steel. So the other thing to think about with this is, I would be very curious under what sort of offerings they offer this. Okay. So um, if this is considered uh, basically the way the rules work in Texas is if you run a career school, which basically means if you charge more than 600 bucks or you have more than a certain number of hours in your program, you have to be licensed. 
And that would be the first place I would go to kind of understand this. And it could potentially be a very good thing about this deal is if you have a license from the Career and Workforce um, Commission here in Texas, um, that takes a while to get, right? And it's hard to get and it can create a moat for you. It's kind of like accreditation, like for the universities, you know? So that'd be something very interesting to understand how these offerings work and where they fit into that value chain. Like, are they very kind of cheapy type type deals? Or are you putting people into ten or twenty thousand dollar like let's get you fluent in six months type type programs? Which I think that that latter one is much more interesting than being in the cheapy like come in for a day a week and like learn stuff at the community college in terms of how to speak Spanish. So if you're t- in Texas, if your tuition is more than six hundred dollars, period. Like if each if your customer lifetime value or customer I guess transaction value is more than six hundred dollars, you need a license. Period. Uh, that is roughly that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and it's not yeah. like just fill out a form and you got it. Like you have to prove it over time. Uh, it is. Uh, so our coding school uh, has been going through that. We've been in, licensed by the career. It's the career Texas Workforce Commission. And so most states do this. And so you have to go through like uh, all kinds of criminal background checks. You have to submit audited financials each year. They want to know that you're not going to run off with student like um, money. They go through and they look at your course handbook. Like you have to have a course handbook and student policies. They force you also, by the way, it's very interesting. Let's say you run a $5,000 program to teach somebody learning or to teach somebody language, um, which is a job skill, right? And uh, they quit halfway through. You cannot have a policy where you don't give them back their money. You have to give, you have to, there's state law on how that works. So like you, you, it's very difficult um, to run under that. And so it also makes things more expensive and costly for you because just like colleges, you have to have somebody spending all of their time making sure you stay compliant. It's like a full-time job. Yep. Interesting. So that, are these licenses transferable? Do you happen to know? Uh, Yep. Yeah, they are transferable, but like you have to be subjected to stuff, right? Like they will interview you potentially. They'll do criminal background checks. Like it limits the number of people that can get them. And also it takes time to get them. So there will be time, for example, where you have to run a certain number of courses and stuff like that to get different levels of accreditation and that sort of thing, or to allow people to be able to use some of the funding sources. So say if somebody wanted to use the GI Bill, right, which comes from the VA, to um, to do this sort of language learning, right? Which if you're accredited, you probably can do that. Or if you're approved by, this, by the GI folks, you can do that. that. That can all be part of a great revenue source if you have a business like this. Here's the trick. Like if you wanna get GI Bill funding from the VA, they have a slight requirement. You have to have been in business for two years before you can even apply. Mm. So it creates like this, there's like this regulatory mode and people are like, why is education so expensive? And I was like, I'll tell you why education is so expensive. It's because the government makes it so hard to be a good educator. Anyway, that was my rant. Well, that's, <laughs> that's what is so great about it. this business has been around for 38 years. So you can be assured, not only are they, have they got all their licenses, I would think, and are fully compliant if that's the market they're playing in. They've probably also got the processes to stay compliant and they've certainly passed any audits. If you're audited every five or 10 years, they've passed three of them. You know, so they know exactly how to do it. Man, you're selling me on this deal, actually. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's well, okay. 38 years old. Like it's got a million and even now. Like it's got some some longevity and some size, a little bit of size. Yeah, from from a Lindy perspective, it's killer, right? Lindy, this idea, if you want to guess how long something's going to last, look at how long it's lasted so far, and that's your average of how long it's going to last, right? Totally. 
Well, I also like it too, from a marketing perspective. I mean, I think in consumer products, like whatever, every single unit you sell, you know, that's one more person who's experienced your product and will tell other people about it. Same thing here. If you're your friend, if you're friend, if you immigrate to America, you're going to get to know other people who have immigrated to America. And if they speak great English, what's the first question you're going to ask them? Where'd you learn how to speak English so well? Right. Absolutely. And it's like referral. That's just, every, every little person is a little referral soldier out there speaking English or speaking whatever language you taught them and telling their friends about it. And then the other side is this can potentially, you know, I think they hint about it here. Like, I love that there's a B2B aspect of this, right? Like, um, there are all of these like Houston companies, right. That are sending like random people to like East Timor or like Kenya or like random parts of Africa. Cause guess what? Like we're drilling for oil there like crazy. And sometimes you got to have somebody that can speak the, the native language, um, and so that gives you a potential another mode around this business is if you're the only school in town that happens to teach Cameroonian, right, or whatever language they speak in Java, uh, then you're in a great position. Like you can you can just basically write your own ticket there and you can go to these companies, Exxon, you know, uh, pick one, BP, right, and say like, hey, you know, I've heard you've got people on the ground and wherever, like where your language school for that. And you can you can develop a great, I think, B2B aspect here that's much better than kind of the B2C language learning where like, look, nobody's getting much money out of me for language learning, <laughs> but, but a corporation much better source of revenue. Well, I'm sure there's also like certain markets, like sure. If, if you're sending somebody to Cameroon, like I don't, how many people go to Cameroon versus how many people go to Mexico, you know, or how many people that right. come from Mexico to the States? Like, I'm sure there are different, there are mar there are sub markets here. Right. And then you got to have an instructor, you got to develop a curriculum, like, you know, like I'm sure there's probably like almost like some capital allocation decisions, like, what products do we want to offer? What languages do we want to offer? Yeah. You know, in which and how big are the markets for them? And do we have corporate clients? And do they, if they're going to pump 20 people through our school every month, like, do we need a customized curriculum for this corporation, you know, to teach about their jargon that's specific to that corporation? You know, and I, I would think if they've been doing this, it says they've got successful partnerships with government agencies domestically and internationally, you know, several, you know, industries. I bet they're already have thought about a lot of this. And, and this to me highlights one of the reasons to buy a business rather than start one. Right. right? Um, because let's, let's just say that you were willing to do the two year slog and, and then go through all the certifications. That's just one part of it. The, like all these relationships, all of the processes, all the SOPs that they have for if we want to start teaching, you know, whatever they speak in Cameroon, like here's the shell of a, of a curriculum. Here's how you go hire a, an instructor. Like here's how you actually do it. The amount of SOPs I would hope in a 38 year old business is, is a real hard thing to replicate. Yeah. Well, and that's one of the nice things about that career school certification stuff. Like at first I was like, ah, oh, this is such a pain. Like, I can't believe these people are up under our business. But then like, as we were doing it, I was like, oh, this is really good. Like, you know, what we do need an employee handbook. I'm glad they're making me do this. Like, okay, everybody slow down, write an employee handbook. And I think that's so much what you find when you go look at these small businesses, uh, where it's just like, oh, hey, um, do you have like any like books, you know, like our processes written out? No, no, we have written it out. It's, it's in my brain. Or, or you look at the small business, you're like, hey, uh, have you, you're, you're a $14 million a year business. Have you considered auditing your financials? No, we don't do that. We just look and see how much money's in that account at the end of the year. It goes great. Like, but that's standard, right? That's like the small business playbook. Uh, you know, I talk to my friends and I'm like, yeah, audit. 
you know, spend the $40,000, get your finances audited and it'll pay for itself. And a lot of them look at me like I'm a maniac. I'm like, look, you own a $12 million a year business. You're, you're not going to pay somebody $40,000 to come in and run a, fi- a full financial audit using gap processes against your finances. Or do you trust your controller that much? Is your accounts payable person, you know, or your accounts receivable person that trustworthy that it's not worth it for you to risk 40 grand to have some professional accountants come in and run a process to make sure you're not getting robbed blind. And, uh, yeah. and then, then they, again, they look at me like I'm crazy because I'm the guy that wrote the Chili's thread. <laughs> so, <laughs> so like as an example though, Michael, so our business, uh, my COO is, he's a CPA. He's a former accountant, yeah. right? He did audits before he came to work for me and we still do audits. Uh, and get yeah. stuff out of it every year, right? Like he's really bright, but there are plenty of CFOs out there of small businesses that are not formal, former Deloitte accountants, right? And they could really benefit from an audit. Uh, or it's important to note, if you don't want to pay for an audit 40 grand, you can usually get what's called a review, which is yep. significantly cheaper. And it's basically like audit light. Um, yep. So any firm that will do an audit will typically do reviewed financials. They'll still write you a letter and everything. It's just audit light place to start. Uh, so data point for you about this one. I texted uh, my associate, Sam, who's been looking at businesses for us to buy. And he said, I've seen a lot of these language learning schools for sale over the past two and a half months. Not sure what that means, but it's a data point. Mm. So very interesting. Very, very interesting. interesting. So for Suddenly, those of you consider- wants to spend time, more time with family. <laughs> <laughs> for, those, for those of you considering rolling up HVACs, uh, and uh, finding that they're all priced at 12 times earnings, uh, maybe maybe this is a roll-up opportunity to create a national language learning school. I don't know. Or maybe the regulation is about to get a whole lot more onerous or Definitely something. Could. Definitely good. Well, and then, you know, that's the other crazy thing about like government regulation of education is by and large, more more regulation of any industry typically means that the industry is going to react by getting bigger. Right. So if you look, for example, at why banks have been getting so much bigger over the past couple of years or a couple of decades, it's because we keep adding more regulation. And if you want to have and be able to like deal with that kind of regulatory compliance and have a team of 50 people dealing with it, you can't be a hundred person bank. Right. It's much more logical if you're a 5,000 person bank to have a 50 person compliance team. And so, you know, my, my, one of my relatives was on the board of like a small regional and he's like, look, we just had to, we just had to start buying other banks to get bigger. Otherwise, all the compliance activities were going to murder us. Like we weren't going to be profitable because we were going to have a 50 person compliance department for a 200 person bank and it just wasn't going to work. Um, but same thing here. Maybe it pays to get bigger. So I don't know. Oh, I mean, usually anything compliance related, bigger is always better. Bigger is always better. So anyway, if you want to go bigger, it's a, so, so anyway, I like this one. I like this one. So. so one thing we haven't touched on is, Michael, do you get a sense that this is delivered in person in a classroom or online? Or, and which of those would be better? I can think of pros and cons to both, to be honest. Yeah. I would not be surprised if there's if they offer both. And I guess I didn't do the very basic thing, which was like Google Houston language learning and see what came up. But it would not surprise me if there's a combination of classroom and Zoom based stuff here. And it really probably depends upon what you're looking for. Like if you're, you know, an oil and gas company, you know, and you're going to send three, you know, you're going to send 50 people to your Kenyan oil and gas operation. Um, there's probably some of those that you're going to say, okay, well, you're going to learn like, 
workplace, you know, Kenyan, whatever that is. And then there's another group that's going to learn how to get through, how to get by in the market, you know, Cerveza and Playa level, you know, uh, knowledge of the language. And that can, I think those can each be delivered very differently. But the reality is like, if you want to be somebody that at the end of one of these programs uh, is able to speak and have a conversation, you have to spend a lot of time listening to the language and you have to spend a lot of time speaking it. And it's just a situation where, you know, that's typically done a lot easier face to face, but I do it right now, like virtual over WhatsApp with video and you, you, you get by. So it wouldn't surprise me if it's a bit of both. Um, and I, I don't know, maybe that's the threat here. Maybe a lot of the online services are competing with these guys. Well, I mean, I think there, so there's a difference in, in what the product is right on one end of the spectrum. There's like the Duolingo app, right? Which is self-paced. There's not a human on the other side of it. It's a, it's an online course, right? And you, it's up to you to speak it or get good or pass or fail or whatever. I don't think that's what this is. This seems to me to be classroom style instruction, either delivered over Zoom or likely, I think, a fair bit in person. I mean, they got 80 employees. I got to assume like for, for a million dollar EBITDA business to have 80 employees, that's a fair number of employees. I bet a large number of them are are teachers, right, of, of different languages. I wonder if some of them might be contractors. Some of them might not be full time. Like, hey, if we, we're running the Kenyan class this March and, you know, we run it four times a year or whatever. And then we have a contractor who they've listed as this employee count, you know, that does it. Um, yeah. so I think this is, and I actually like that better. Like if this is kind of, you got to sell against Duolingo and all that other stuff, like that's brutally competitive. That's going price of that is trending to zero. Right. But if this is like, you show up, you got to be local to Houston, you sit in the room, there's real value to that. I think that's a lot more defensible. Yeah. Yeah, definitely be curious where the, this business is trending when you dig into it, dig into the model, you know, and go from there and see what the threats are. You know, are you getting crushed by some of this online stuff? How are you going to be, how how durable is the customer referral? Um, all those, you know, in terms of these partnerships with these corporations, all that's really important. Um, I'm super curious. So if anybody looks into this one, definitely let us know. Yep. Cool. Yeah. I, I think this is really compelling. I mean, any, any, I mean, we talked about the truck driver school a couple episodes ago, which if you're interested in this topic, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that episode uh, where we really got into it on truck driver CDL certification. This is sort of yeah. in the same vibe in that I, I actually really like it. It's a services business. You know, it can expand without a lot of capital expenditure. It seems to be reasonably priced. It's got a million dollars. You but now they want 4 million bucks for it. Um, been around a long time, 38 years, probably got decent brand recognition in the market. You know, much like the truck driving school, which was local, you had to actually show up, get behind the wheel of an 18 wheeler, right? You know, same thing here. You got to show up and sit in a classroom uh, and pay probably thousands of dollars, you know, high ticket. I like this one in the same way I like the truck driver school. Schools are, you, you're going to have a hard time getting super wealthy owning a school. But man, the other thing that's really nice about owning a school, and I've kind of learned this through experience, is it's so nice to own a business that at its core helps people in their life transformation. And a lot of times, like if you're, you know, helping a Vietnamese immigrant learn how to, you know, become fluent in English, like you're providing such opportunity for them. And it's really kind of inspiring, you know, and that's one of the things I've learned with us doing code up. Like, it's just so cool, like to own something that really helps people, which a lot of businesses don't have that, right? Like if you own a coffee shop, for example, yeah, you, you help make people's days, you know, a bit better, but by and large, like it's not as being core to somebody's life transformation as a business like this. And it's, 
it's a lot of fun and very inspiring. I can just tell you from experience. That's awesome. I'm sure this, this business has a ton of testimonials, you know, and alumni and all that stuff who they've for 38 years, right. They've been successfully teaching people languages they need to know to get by either in the States or elsewhere, you know, key skill. It's, it is really cool. Really cool. All right. Well, I think we'll wrap it up there and uh, see you guys next week. <laughs>